Game Live. It's fantastic to have your company this Wednesday, the 20th May, 20th of May, should I say, from wherever you are watching. It's a real delight to have you here with us. The purpose of these programs, of course, is to engage with you, the fans, every week here. And this week, of course, is no different, but I am delighted to welcome a different guest to this platform. And it's none other than the great Spiderelli, aka Jelko Kalas. Spider, welcome to you. Hey, Lucy, this is very uh, different, isn't it? It is very different, very unusual, but we're glad that we can still connect with you on this platform. How are you going? You holding up all right? Oh, not too bad. I'm in the office here, uh, just begging for things to start again for us. So we're just waiting to, to hear some good news that we can start training and, and get the ball rolling again. Has isolation been treating you well? Um, well, no different to everyone else, I suppose. Uh, I haven't been able to do anything too much, go for walks. I'm getting fitter. I could almost start the play again, I think. Over 35s, that is. <laughs> Don't worry, some A-League clubs might need you in this current environment. If you wanted to come back, I'm sure they'd be happy to have you. <laughs> yeah, I'd be good for, I'd be good for the bench. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, I have to welcome my beloved colleague over at SBS, uh, journalist Nick Stoll. Stolich, welcome to you. How are you holding up over there? Yeah, thank you. Um, again, like Spider, I was down at the park taking shots, practicing free kicks yesterday. It was like I was 14 again. It was incredible. <laughs> and for those of you joining us, of course, remember that we are coming to you live via Facebook. So keep your questions and your comments uh, coming throughout the show and we'll do our very best to get to them. Of course, a big topic of conversation uh, pretty much since we went into lockdown and the A-League went on hiatus is the state of the game. And I'm really delighted that we've got you, Spider, here to talk through all of that because there's been a lot of conjecture. We've had some high profile footballers, former teammates of yours, of course, that have come out publicly and, and, and weighed in on it all and provided their two cents. But what do you think? Where are we at? What's going on with Australian football from your perspective? Well, at the moment, nothing. Uh, quite quite clearly, we, we don't have a game at the moment, which is the scary part. Uh, and look, obviously, everyone's in isolation. You know, everyone's got an opinion. People are bored. So I, I think it's great that people are actually starting to come out and talk about the game and how we can fix it. But the reality is we need the people who make decisions to actually be leaders and lead us in the right direction. That's that's the bottom line. Uh, you know, guys have got great ideas and they have forever. But I don't think the game really had to change that much from what it did before because we weren't doing things that badly before. And now all of a sudden, the game's completely stopped and it's now, how can we fix it? What can we do? I don't know. Like, I don't think it was that broken before. I, I, think, I think a big problem at the moment is probably budget. This is our biggest problem in football in any, any domain of grassroots, A-League, State Leagues, MPLs, whatever you want to name it, budgets are the biggest problem. And until they sort that out, we're going to struggle. I'm curious as to why you think it wasn't as broken because, I've, I mean, I've had so many discussions with various people from previous eras in the NSL to the current era in the A-League and all of them have kind of reached this general consensus that we do have a lot of issues, particularly when it comes to the, the infrastructure of the game, the ecosystem, how it's a bottom-down, not top-down approach, uh, you know, the, the, the issues of the A-League and how there's waning interest in it. What, what did you feel we were doing well? Well, look, a lot more people, a lot more younger kids were getting an opportunity in the A-League. Now, we, we say they weren't playing regularly. Okay, they weren't playing regularly because the league has gone up. So if we want to go back to the old NSL, that was the top league in Australia. But the old NSL, the highest paid players were earning $50,000. Now the A-League, the highest paid players are earning, well, if I talk about Australian players, they were earning well in excess of 200000 some of these guys. And they wonder why we run out of money. But like the budget is seriously too high. It really is too high. And we talk about, I, I'm on for whatever the clubs want to do. At the end of the day, if these club owners want to spend money and, and go no salary cap, no problem, do that. But we're going to have three or four teams that can get, compete with these. And then we're going to have the other six or seven or eight, whatever we want to get into the league, who won't be able to compete. But that's okay if you use it for what it is. Smaller clubs become uh, selling clubs. So then we've got to bring back transfers, which I've heard a lot of people talk about, which is something that's gone out of the game. Then you got to, you actually got to know where you sit in the big pool and the big scheme of things. If you're a developing club and a selling club, that's, that's your avenue, isn't it? Mm -hmm. 
An interesting point, because Stolich, you've been a big advocate for that, and particularly in the context of a club like IBARD, for example, who don't necessarily have massive budgets and massive supporter bases and a massive stadium, but they continue to thrive. And, you know, they're playing against the likes of Messi, uh, you know, every other week. So there are, there are a lot of lessons that we can take from other leagues around the world. But uh, further to what Spider's saying, I, I think that budget has certainly been a big issue and a topic of conversation, but the salary cap point um, and that we need to lower wages. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, I think you need to make these clubs work and you need to have, I think, as we see all over the world, you have big clubs and you have small clubs. And one of the problems with the salary cap is we talk about equalization, but is that trying to make every single club the same? And I think that doesn't work. You've got to have your big clubs, your small clubs, you know, Spider, you obviously played for one of the biggest clubs in the world at AC Milan, but there were times where, you know, some of the smaller clubs knocked off the big clubs. I think that's one of the best things about football. So it's definitely something that I think, you know, I'd like to see. And also if you have this national second division and you have promotion relegation, you're going to have some of the smaller teams with smaller budgets coming up and we need to make sure that they can still survive even with those smaller budgets. I think they can survive. I think the what I've seen out of this, and it's not because I'm in the MPL now, because I've been actually in the A-League for, you know, nine years. So I've actually seen the A-League. And the A-League is advanced at the MPL, but it's advanced because they train their full time. But that means their budgets spiral out of, out of control. Now, when the A-League started, guys, let, let, let's be honest. It started 15, 16 years ago. We had eight teams in the league. We're 16 years down the line. We've got 11 teams in the league. So what have we really developed? It's a good point. So do you feel like we've made any advancements in that space? Because they, they continue to say these things like, you know, well, we have come far. And of course, I truly believe that we've come a long way since the NSL uh, for a vast number of reasons. But, you know, where do you feel we have made advancements, if any? Well, we have we have made advancements because the game's evolved. We've tried to evolve with the game. You know, we've gone into Asia. We're giving uh, this younger generation a better opportunity of matches. You know, if they're the Champions League, we, we have evolved. I'm not saying we haven't evolved, but we need to really sit back. And this ain't the question to me. We need to sit back with the owners of the clubs. And we actually need to ask the owners of the clubs, are you continually uh, willing to lose 5 million, 6 million, 7 million? Because I, I don't think the clubs in Europe, I don't think the Man Uniteds and the Juves I don't think they work on a losing budget. I'm not, I'm, I'm not totally convinced that they work on a losing budget. They spend a lot more than what we do here in Australia. So for me, the biggest problem in Australian football is money. We can't get the TV deals. We can't get the media on side. Uh, you know, we talk about costs. Guys, if we cut the costs for the, uh, these kids that play in the youth systems, the NPL clubs don't survive anymore. How are they going to survive without the costs... It's, it's just ridiculous. It's, it, is a paying, it is a paying sport. Isn't that part of the problem, though, Spides, is that we are using youth registration, which is pricing out a lot of families out of the market because it's bloody expensive to pay. Isn't that the problem with them being required to prop up the, the state leagues? Um, and, and I know for a fact, too, that some state league players are on big wages as well. So I find it interesting that we've kind of agreed that perhaps, you know, we need to continue to, to keep the costs as they are. Look, everything revolves around money, doesn't it? So the A-League clubs, if they don't get the right money coming in, they, they struggle. Uh, State League clubs are the same. So if we don't have these uh, fees, and, you know, we can say whatever the fees are, I don't know what they are around Australia, two and a half thousand or whatever it is, if you work it, if you work it out, it's what it costs. You got to pay the coaches. You got to pay. Who's paying for this in MPL level? It's not the state feds. It's the clubs that are coming up with this money themselves. So now you're seeing the same problem with the A League clubs. You know, no TV rights. All of a sudden, there's no league. So these state league clubs are actually surviving without TV rights. So it's a, it's, there's a big difference. I got a question because you're obviously coach at Sydney United now. How far away do you think? Because there's talk of, I think, for example, uh, Optus, they had their discussion on the week and there was talk of they wanted to bring in four, you know, old teams, you know, from the NSL straight into the A League. How far away do you think some of these MPL teams are, like Sydney United, from the A League? Uh, not so much in terms of like the quality of players, but more the finances. Could, could they sustain jumping into the A League? Look, that, that's probably another one for the people who are in business for that. But look, look at some of the clubs in Melbourne, in the Melbourne State League. They, they pay big money 
and they actually are sufficient. So if we look at it realistically, I, I think if there was some sort of like, you know, when you get relegated from the Premier League, there's some sort of parachute money. I think if the salary cap come down in the A-League to say 1.8 million and the state league clubs, whatever they work on at the moment, so let's say it's about 300,000, some of the state league clubs work on. If you parachute 300,000 for the team that goes up and they're working up a $600,000 budget, that's pretty much what it used to be in the old NSL. And these teams will be very competitive. Now, I'm not saying they'll win it, but they'll be competitive. It'll be better to have a promotion and relegation and some sort of competition and something for these clubs who do want to go up to thrive for. And it actually brings rivalry. And it actually gives these guys that are fighting for relegation, like, no disrespect to Central Coast. I mean, I know they've copped a bit. Everyone keeps saying the same thing. But the reality is they keep finishing last. Yeah. They finish last every year and it's okay. Let me tell you, in world football, anywhere, don't worry about Europe, South America, Asia, anywhere, coming last is not good. But it shouldn't be good for the club. And that's the biggest problem and why we keep agitating for a national second division and why we need promotion and relegation. It's um, hard, Lucy. It's going to come down to budgets again. Yeah. It, it, it all comes... It, realistically, We, I think everyone would love... Everyone's on the same page. Everyone would love the whole idea. But the people that actually put the numbers together, they say it's viable or it's not viable. I think if you drop all the salaries, it's viable. Because I can only say when I was playing, I was at Sydney United, my, my contract was $200. And I was playing for a win bonus. And if you said someone in the A-League now, your contract's $200 and you're playing for a win bonus, they won't play. Their wages have gone up and up and up and up. But the club's kept on bleeding, 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 bleeding. And now we've got to a complete standstill. But how many of those players are actually on those wages, though? Because we've got, and we've seen PFA studies come out and, and, and you know, information disseminated from them that suggests that some of them are on as low as 50K to 60K. So the players that you're talking about, I think that's only a small percentage of an actual squad, isn't it? The ones on 50K are the ones that were the same age as me when I was on 200 at Sydney United back when I started. So they're on a lot more money than what I was on. They've actually got it too good. They've actually got it too good. That's, that's my opinion, that they've got it too good. Now, do we, we do want to have a professional league. We do want to have a B league. So we do want to have more, more kids and more players getting the opportunity to be professionals, but it's got to be viable for everyone. Now, I'm not one of the owners. Maybe Mr. Travantenko or Mr. Letter at Wanderers or the guys that run uh, Victory and Melbourne City, they know better than me, the numbers. But I, let me tell you, an A-league club costs a lot of money to run. A lot of money to run and very hard to recoup that money on just selling players. So where do you sit then on this view? And I've heard rumblings amongst the A-League owners that they're wanting to raise the number of foreigners to something ridiculous like seven or eight. We just got to be careful uh, doing that because, I mean, and I'm going to look at Japan now because I think they're the number one in Asia. and We should sort of follow what they're doing. They've dropped the numbers so more of their players play. Same in uh, Korea. They drop the numbers so more of the younger players play. And if you watch the K-League at the moment, which we're lucky enough that they're playing, their squads are very young. They're very young. So obviously they've worked out that financially we can't go and spend a lot of money. So they're playing a lot of young local players and they're getting the opportunity, which is fantastic as well. And if we have to do that in the A-League, so be it. If we, if we only allow to bring in three foreigners... No, we've got to understand that there's only three foreigners and more Australians will get an opportunity. Can I ask both of you guys? Um, there was, so after, you know, Optus did their thing with Aloisi and Greller and all the guys at a big discussion, I saw a lot of talk online of, I think, A-League fans getting frustrated at um, so much criticism of the A-League. And there was a lot of people saying, oh, they shouldn't be putting the league down and all these things. And these ex-players, most of them never even played in the A-League. And, you know, Spider, as a former player, what do you think about people criticising uh, former players for voicing their opinion? And, and Lucy as well, I, I'm interested in to what you think because... I, I don't... I don't think they were putting the game down. I think realistically they love the game. They actually want the game to get better. So, I mean, that's six guys on there with an opinion. And I think the more you get, you get another six and then you get another six and you get these big powerful owners together and you put all that together and you can actually make it work. But I don't think they're really putting it down. And you know what? Someone's got an opinion. It doesn't mean he's trying to like kill the league. It's actually his opinion of, how we, how we can make things better. So we're all sitting here and we all have an idea and we're all in isolation. And we all 
uh, have the solution to fix it, but yet we're still still sitting in the same position. We're not we're not going anywhere at the moment. No one knows when the restart of the season is. No one knows when the kids are going to start playing again. No one knows nothing. So it's I don't think they're putting it down. I'm actually I'm sure they're not putting it down because they the the sooner we fix the game and make it viable for everyone, the the quicker everyone gets back to doing what they love doing. Mm, I couldn't agree more with that. Um, and if I could add something further, of course, there's been talk about, okay, when are we going to restart the league? Uh, we actually sat down myself and Foz with Craig, Craig, Fo James Johnson. I went to call him Craig. James Johnson and Graham Arnold um, in, a, in a very in-depth interview. So there's a lot of content there, guys. It goes for, for over an hour and it was a very wide-ranging discussion that covered a lot of topics. We're talking women's football. We're talking national second division, when the competition's potentially going to resume, uh, you name it. It's all in there about sponsorships, the loss of money, the ecosystem currently and how economically viable the game is as it stands at the moment. Um, so please do go and check it out. It's across all of our social platforms and on the website if you'd like to hear more from the CEO because I think it's really important. We've had a lot of silence um, from the ivory tower at the moment when it comes to the resumption of the competition and I have it on good authority. I did hear and this isn't from some source that's just walking their dog down the street and overheard conversations. This is coming from people who are involved in the discussions and what I was told was that at the moment they're at a standstill. They're lacking leadership, a clear direction from the collective as in the owners in conjunction with FFA about a possible resumption date. And a lot of the sticking points are that at least two to three clubs don't want to resume the competition. So we're in a real crisis situation here. James Johnson denied that. And he said, look, we've got everybody that's in agreement that they would like to restart the season. And we're about a week or two away from establishing a date. The problem with that is that why has this taken so damn long for us to get our act together to play? You've got state leagues that are scrambling now to resume their respective competitions because they don't want to end up in an economic crisis as well and have parents turn around and say, we're going to take our money from you and give us back our registration fees because that could spell disaster for them. But you've got a professional competition that you've got a team based in New Zealand and teams here in the country that, okay, there are border restrictions, but why is it that you've got the NRL and the AFL and other leagues around the world in Europe where it's a far bigger crisis concerning the pandemic that have been able to get their act together before us? And we've only got a few weeks left of the, of the competition that we need to play out. So I think it's um, a real slide on where we are as a game that they haven't been able to get their, their, their act together and finalise when we can resume the competition. Because once that's done, then we can start to plan about the future of the game and, and where we're going. Um, as for putting the game down, I mean, look, I think that a lot of that is conducive to the environment that we've put the A-League in. You know, we're talking about playing in a summer competition. So are you necessarily going to get the best product when you're forcing players to, to turn out in 40 degree heat? The answer to that is no. Um, you know, our, our professional game isn't aligned with the rest of the playing calendar. So you're not going to be able to see enough of that balance between, all right, if we want to start promoting promoting players from the MPL and getting them in and at the right time, we're all out of whack. Um, you know, we're still not aligned with Asia and we're a part of the Asian Football Confederation. Uh, you know, that, that also breeds questions around, okay, what do we want to do with the three plus one rule? Do we want to bridge a, a better relationship with them or do we want to create a further gap there are so many things that start to go through my mind on this but I agree with Spider I don't think the guys are bagging the game I think they're being realistic about the product and where it's at there's waning interest fans are disenchanted you know you look at the numbers across television and the stadiums they're not turning up anymore and it's quite frankly that I think they've had enough we've treated the game and the fans and the relevant stakeholders like rubbish for too long Fox have every right to be upset about the situation that they've been put in for them to walk away tomorrow at any given moment could you really judge them they've poured so much money into the game and it hasn't been supported by the governing body it hasn't been marketed correctly it just hasn't been given the best possible opportunity to succeed so i think for a lot of the situation that we're in we only have ourselves to blame spider yeah look uh the first thing comes down everything you stated lucy true but the major point is money yeah. You know, why, why Why? is the AFL starting? Why is the rugby league starting? Because we can't compare with the AFL because the government give them a lot, a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, the rugby league, they're desperate to start because if they don't start, they are cash-strapped like the FFA. Yeah. So, But their television rights are quadruple what the A-leagues is. Yeah, so uh, you know, we, we talk about the game. We talk about football. But the last thing on everyone's mind is the game. Because the first thing on everyone's mind is, is how can we pay for this? It's all about money. 
Everything is about money. The game has become a bigger business than the game. Stolich? Yeah, I mean, I agree. And I think you made some really good points. I actually thought it was just really interesting because I, I really enjoy the debate. And, you know, I, we talk about the big issues, I think, every week. And we've been talking, I mean, we've been talking about it since I was a kid watching it on the world game, you know, the Sundays. Right, yeah, they were talking. And I always think, and I know a lot of, uh, I've been lucky enough to meet a lot of, uh, you know, ex-players. And and the one thing that always stands out to me is how much people care. And that's the thing is when I hear criticism from whoever, it's not necessarily because they hate the A-League or whatever. They hate the person in charge. It's because they want the game to succeed. And I think it's just, we're not fulfilling our potential. We know we're not. And it's such a shame. I mean, you know, even I sometimes think, you know, for you, Spider, you lived in Italy for 15 years or in Europe for so long, and you got to be in a, a real football country where it was really, you know, it had its problems, but it was really fulfilling its football potential. And I just hope that we can get there someday. So I, I think that's, I think a lot of people get misconstrued because I know people feel very passionately about the A-League and their team. And, you know, you look at the Wanderers fans and CNFC fans and Victory fans, how much they love their team. But that doesn't necessarily mean we're not criticizing those people i think it's great Correct. that they love their team Correct. we just want the league and, and australian football to be better now, be- my, my my opinion my opinion whether you like it or not you don't have to listen to it. it's just my opinion it doesn't mean you have to hate me because you don't agree with what i say it's just my opinion hmm. then it goes to you you have a different opinion i mean we don't have to argue but the more we discuss things the more we might conjure up ideas of how we can actually make it better because that, that's all it is. It's about sitting down and discussing. And now we're in a position. Let me tell you guys, if, if we didn't get this virus, as uh, Mr. Trump says, the China virus, mate, we wouldn't even be talking about this. Yeah. We wouldn't have this opportunity because everything would, we would have thought everything was fine and it would have kept on going. And the A-League, the A-League clubs would have kept on bleeding and you know, salaries keep going up. And you know what? The product, some games are great. Some games are unwatchable. But you watch the EPL, some games are great, some games are unwatchable. That's exactly. football. Sadly, that's football. Exactly. It's so true. Um, where do you sit on the whole national second division thing? I want to drill down into that a little bit further with you. I mean, you've identified that obviously the, the Melbourne clubs have some money. I know that the Sydney clubs, a few of them, a handful of them could be in a position to start something. But James Johnson said, and originally before the virus had hit, they had established a, a timeline of 2021 to 2022 that they could set up a second tier. Right now, I asked James about it and I said, well, where is that at now that the pandemic has kind of hit? Is it something that's going to have to be pushed back? And he said, look, a couple of years could mean three years. And then Arnie, when we spoke to him about it further down the track in the interview, said, we can't wait three years for a national second division. What are your thoughts around that? I agree. I I don't think we can. I, I think we have an opportunity now to actually get the second division up and running. I, I think there are fantastic clubs in the MPLs. Let, let's let's not forget our heritage. I know everyone wants to just throw our heritage out the window, but these clubs have been around for a long, long time and they did a lot of things right. Just because the A-League now has come in and it's above the MPLs, it doesn't mean these MPL clubs don't do things right. There's a lot of good clubs that want to be as professional as they can in the MPL. Give them the opportunity. Like you've given the A-League clubs the opportunity, give these guys the opportunity. You will soon find out which eight or ten clubs in Australia can be in a second tier. You'll find out very quickly. Could Sydney United be a part of it? I mean, I know that you showed us a vision before we went to air here today of the, the new pitch that's been relayed. It looks fantastic. And it's a club that's rich with so much history. A club, of course, that's close to my heart, your heart. Um, the plays that it's produced uh, over the years back in the NSL era was just phenomenal. But where are they at now? Could they comfortably put their hand up and say, we're ready to compete, do you feel? I think I think there's uh, Sydney United could definitely come back into the into the B League. You know, Marconi could definitely come into the B League. Olympic could come into the B League. Wollongong Wolves, we forget, has been a club of history that's been around for a long time. They could Arpia possibly possibly could. They probably don't have the ground or the the stadium in Melbourne. Let me tell you, in Melbourne, there's there's clubs, there's new clubs that I don't even know about, like Avondale. Uh, Hume, there's the old Melbourne Knights, there's Bentley Greens, there's South Melbourne Hellas, there's Heidelberg. Come on, if we can't make a B League with these clubs, mate, we're, we're kidding ourselves. But again, it's going to come down to budgets and what we're willing to spend. Now, I don't know, I, I've been sitting here thinking about all these kind of things as well. And do we do, you know, North, 
East and West conferences and then play off in the finals to give the, I don't know, something like that. But if, unless you sit down and have these discussions, you're never going to get to it, get an outcome out of it. So we might as well sit down and talk about the game while we can. Stolich? Yeah, I agree. And I think, uh, you know, we, I think we are talking and that's fantastic. I think a lot of people are giving their opinions and I've really enjoyed that. I mean, you know, it sucks that we can't watch football, but I've really enjoyed the fact that we are having these big discussions, you know, speaking to ex players and speaking to people within the game, out of the game, getting a wide range. But I think as well, the key is going to be who is going to compromise, who is going to give something up because we talk about, oh, we need unity. And, uh, you know, I watched the interview with James Johnson yesterday and he said a lot of the right things and I really enjoyed his perspective but i kept thinking well you know the the state federations are never going to vote for their own demise so we're never going to get that and you know a-league clubs have to be willing to allow for promotion relegation which it seems like a lot of times they're not willing to open it up and have teams close to them we saw you know sydney fc how against they were how much they were against southern expansion coming in i think you need a welcome competition and i think but it's going to take everyone saying listen we're going to compromise and it might take players as well like you were saying spider take a pay cut to to drop kind of their expectations of salary so that's the kind of thing that i'm I guess, skeptical about who is, who is going to be the group or is everyone going to compromise? Oh, it's, diff- it's difficult, but you know, you know what? For, for me, it just takes leadership. At the moment, it's James Johnson. He's just got to make decisions and say, this is what we're doing. You either follow or you're out. Mm. It's, pretty, it's pretty simple. Like I don't think in Europe uh, or South America, the clubs dictate to the federations. You just got, they've just got to have an idea, whatever that idea is. I'm, I'm sure... They're, they're listening to everyone and they're getting as much information as they can off everyone and they think, that's a good idea, that's a rubbish idea, that's a good idea, that's a rubbish idea. Okay, how can we put the good ideas together to, to make it work? And it's just got to be viable, guys. It has to be viable. Uh, the A-League grew very quickly. The other thing that I think that's been really, really good is that it shows that we don't need to play out of these big stadiums because Sydney FC have been very successful playing out of Cogra Jubilee and Wynn Stadium. So that's another thing they can actually cut a lot of costs. You know, there's no need for Brisbane Raw to play out of uh, Lang Park. They can go to, to Redcliffe and play out of that stadium. And it's fantastic. You get, you know, 10,000 people jam-packed. It's, it's a great atmosphere. Luce, what was your biggest takeaway from the Johnson interview yesterday? Oh, there was a lot to take away. I mean, I think that it's a baptism by fire for James Johnson. I mean, I wrote a blog that's going to be up shortly about sort of my reaction to it. But, uh, you know, he's been thrust into a really unenviable position. Uh, You know, he's come into a a game that's obviously in desperate need of reform. Um, We've got to look at all layers and all facets of the game and and think about ways to be better better operators and and more efficient when it comes to costs and and, and all of those things that you've mentioned there too, Spider, about stadiums, etc. You know, from my understanding, and, and you can't quote me on it it is only alleged but I have heard that Fox Sports in their contract had stipulated that they didn't want boutique stadiums to be a part of uh, you know the the competition so again don't quote me on it. it's just a rumor that I heard Uh, but these are the sorts of things that we've got to consider it's not just a matter of getting James Johnson up there and saying right all this needs to change and let's make it happen you know you've got a, a governing body that effectively has been answering to member federations and I asked James Johnson about that and he said look if the question is are we going to abolish member federations the answer to that is no but he followed up with saying that yes I agree that they need to be and I'm paraphrasing this part they need to be better efficient and we can improve operating um, measures in and around the the relationship with them but it's this bottom bottom up approach you know so are we ever going to be able to see a CEO that's going to affect great change in their position no but then the thing that I disagree with is like with David Gallup, whether you you preferred him in that position or not, they become the scapegoat for all of the competition and all of football's failures. So we all pointed the finger at David Gallup and said, you're hopeless, you've got to get out, you've done nothing for the game, all these desires to make football the number one sport in the country has failed. But, you know, was he really put in an environment that was conducive to helping him make those, those dreams happen? I don't think he was, because as a lot of people that I've spoken to have said, he was working to an autocratic leader and a, and a lowy 
era that basically operated on their own timeline and their own schedule of how they wanted things to run and what they believed was in the best interests of the game. So I think that for too long, the game has been servicing the governing body, whereas now we need a governing body that's actually servicing the game. Um, and Johnson had a lot of good things to say and a lot of positive things to say, but at the end of the day, we'll judge his success um, on time and, um, and it will be measured by whether or not the things that he's outlined he wants to do are actually achieved. Um, you know, he wants us to all be unified and to all be together on this. He's encouraging. He's, in fact, encouraging more robust debate around the game, which is really good because I think to have these constructive discussions, whether it's here at SBS, at Optus, at Fox, wherever it may be, um, is really important at a time like this. So, you know, I love what he's saying, but let's just wait and see what eventuates because he's, like I said, been thrust into a really challenging environment where now once the pandemic is hit, he has to try and solve all of the game's economic problems. And that goes back to what you're saying, Spider. You know, all these this money that we're hoping to try and pump into the game to prop it up, to give the professional tier the best possible chance of succeeding. But then in addition to that, have a B league that's going to support it and provide the entertainment that we all want from the game for the fans and for the players and everybody and further opportunities for, for player pathways, um, it's going to cost money. So, uh, you know, I don't know though, is it fair to ask the players, obviously given the pandemic, is it fair to say to them out of this, right, you have to take a pay cut and that's it? Well, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to cull something. And I think out of everything that's gone up, it's not the sponsorship it's not uh, crowds. It's players' wages have kept on going up. So for 16 years, the players' wages are the ones that have gone up the most. So clubs are bleeding there. Uh, we're lucky we say, well, okay, well, Fox paid this, so that covers the salary cap. Well, it covers the salary cap, not excluding the visa players, the foreign, the marquee players. So the big clubs that spend a million or, you know, whatever it is on million and a million that's two million so how do they get that money back so all of a sudden they're in a deficit it's it's a really difficult one i mean you know the ceos would know that better than me the owners that are that are brave enough that say we want to win it they go out and spend and the ones that aren't interested in winning it they just sort of like chip away and finish you know last second last third last every year and it seems to be the same clubs every year and we have to change that sort of routine. We have to make the competition more competitive. What was it? What was the thing that actually really excited everyone? That was a new thing that was brought into it. The FFA Cup. Mm -hmm. That brought excitement. Mm -hmm. So now during this pandemic, we have to do something that's going to bring excitement back to the game. So and well, and further to that, I think the introduction of the Wanderers was fantastic. You know, we're, we're hearing that was the savior of the A League at that time. Yeah, that, and that, I think that carried on. And I think one of the reasons was because it really did create a rivalry that we didn't have here in Sydney between yeah. West and East. And I thought that was fantastic. And I think that's what promotion relegation can do as well. And the introduction of these second division clubs, because then suddenly you've got more rivalries. You've got Sydney United v Western Sydney, and you've got, you know, um, I don't know, Sydney FC v Sutherland and all, all these type of rivalries that could exist. But I always think the more competition, the better we're going to be, the more, you know, the cream's going to rise to the top in terms of coaches, players. We're going to see players and coaches come from the second division who we didn't know and then do really well. We've lost Spider there for just a moment. We're hoping. Yeah. That yeah. I've, got, I've got a phone call. It'll finish in a sec. My son's calling me. <laughs> He's a busy man. Maybe it's the FFA asking to give you a job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my, son, my son's calling me to find out what's happening for today. I agree. I, I, think it's, I think it's a must. Um, and I think the brain's trust around it. I think everyone's on the same page. It's just about, look, I think what happens in football in Australia, and again, too many egos and self-interest. Mm -hmm. And you know what we can say? Oh, what am I? What spider talking about? Rubbish is and that. Mate, no. We've been in the game for a long time. The egos in this country are ridiculous, and they don't actually help the game to go forward. Someone just has to stamp down the authority and just say, "Mate, this is what's happening." If your club wants to be a part of it, this is what you have to do. It's as simple as that. And the clubs, you know what? The clubs have to buy in. And you know what? They want direction. The clubs want direction because I think. I think the MPL, I think from A-League to MPL, MPL 1, 2, 3 can all be successful because everyone has their own pool that they play in. And that's important.
You can't tell me that a club in MPL4 thinks they can compete with a club at the A-League level. They can't. But they can say, well, we're going to produce players to get to that A-League level. What are your thoughts around calendar alignment um, and how sort of out of whack that is? Yeah, look, I'm all for going January to December joining the Asian the Asian calendar. Uh, a lot of people are saying, well, we've got to compete against rugby league and AFL. We've competed our whole life against them. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, what's what's another thing? The only thing I think it'll probably... It's not so bad for the uh, MPL teams because they all have their own grounds. A uh, little bit difficult for the A-League clubs. But I think if you put your heads together, uh, I think Sydney FC showed that it can work. Spread the love. Play at Jubilee, play at Wynn Stadium, play at Leichhardt. You know, Melbourne have got great facilities. Adelaide don't have a problem because they've got Hindmarsh. Uh, Perth, I don't think, have a problem. Brisbane, I don't think, will have a problem because they've got Redcliffe. And I'm sure they've got other stadiums, boutique stadiums like that. So I don't really think that, that that's a problem. And if we're getting those kind of stadiums and we're getting 10,000 to a, to a game to watch games and we get the right broadcaster... I think it's time SBS maybe decide they want to be a part of football again and jump back on would be fantastic. But, you know, you, you take away opinions, you know. So when SBS decided to drop out of football, there was only one opinion. It was Fox. That's not football because football is about umpteen opinions. It's about umpteen systems. What's right, what's wrong. That's only an opinion. But I think we've got to have more vocal points and more discussions about it. It's a good point. And I will defend my organisation if I can for just a moment. You know, we never decided to drop out of football. We were into that scenario because of what you're saying, Spider, and it's money. Um, you know, and the irony is, is that back in... That's the- a shock. That's yeah. a shock. It all comes back. <laughs> it all comes back to one thing. Yeah, money. It always does. And frankly... So we, need to, we need to create money ball, Lucy. Yeah, Moneyball would be nice. If only it worked in football. But when I spoke to Frank Farina um, the other week, he said the same thing. He said, you know, I want to talk about something left of field. And now when you think about it, it's not that left of field. You're saying the same thing. And whenever we have these chats about the state of the game, it all funnels back to money. And he said, the biggest issue that we have is money, finances, that we're not able to support the lofty ambitions that we do have around the game. What are your sentiments, Stolich, around the overall future of Australian football? I know it's difficult to forecast where we're going to land in, you know, a few months' time to six months' time to even a year, but what are your sentiments around it all? I think short-term we could be in for a bit of pain and whether, you know, that seems like whether it's broadcast rides, players' salaries dropping, you know, it, it could be a lot of confusion. Whether even all these clubs survive. I mean, I remember James Johnson in an interview kind of recently said he wasn't sure that every single club will survive this period. We know MacArthur's coming in, but we haven't really seen too much from them, how well they'll go. Uh, so short-term could be a problem. But long-term, you've got to have a bit of hope. You've got to have a bit of hope that you know, like you guys are saying that we're having the right debates and that eventually people will work it out. If, if there is the will there, if there is the desire for us to have a second division promotion relegation, move to winter and make it all work, then surely eventually we've got to be able to work it out. I mean, I couldn't bear going my whole life and we're still having these debates when I'm 60, you know, coming in. But you will, years. but that, that's the beauty of football. You will have these debates constantly, no. constantly. But the same debate, Spider, that's the problem. You know, we're still after 30 years talking about people with self-interest dictating terms for the game. You know, we're still talking about money being a problem and, and not being able to, to have a model that doesn't rely solely on a broadcaster or any other revenue streams. That seems to be... Well, Lucy, we, 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 again, I'm not going back. I, I don't want to keep talking about the old, old NSL, but the old NSL survived on what? Sponsors? Crowds? That's what they survived on. And they, they're still around. Those clubs are still around. But and we still actually collapsed in the end. It still collapsed. 2004 was the end of it. You know, you had barely 5,000 fans turning up to a game. That was the I, I get it, but that's a, that's, a second, that's, that's a second tier. Now we're going through the same thing. We're going through the same thing. Our problem here, it's simple, guys. It's never going to change. Money, budgets. That's, a, that's the problem with Australian football. We have to know where we stand in world football. Our governing body is broke. Mm. FFA is broke. So they get money from Fox that's supposed to filter out to the clubs. How are the clubs supposed to survive if they don't receive this money? 
Well, that money still hasn't filtered through to them, and that's the biggest problem. You know, we're sort of well, well. So, what are we talking about the game for? We might as well talk about economics. We might as well talk about other stuff because when we're talking about everything bar the game. Yeah, it's true. It's a good point. John Paul Duck via Facebook. Good afternoon to you, John Paul Duck. So much identity and history in the old NSL clubs. A-League clubs are young. How can we expect such love for these clubs when they are more like a franchise than a club? We as fans need to be more involved somehow, have more of a say. And that can, you know, that can speak to the kinds of models that, say, the Bundesliga clubs have, where fans do have an actual stake in the club itself and a say. Uh, but, you know, is that something that we could potentially move towards spider look i i think the a-league clubs have done a decent job i'm not gonna i think they've reached out to the community i think they've tried to broaden it they've tried to get uh, people involved i mean they have but it's very difficult when you have a look at all these new franchises that come in so you know sydney fc was the first club in sydney so it's only lucky that wanderers come in because we all know what the west are like they, they, they built a great club with a great culture. They started winning and people started supporting and everyone jumped on the bandwagon. And it was fantastic. And like Stolich said, there's a rivalry, East versus West. Melbourne's different. So Victory were the first club in. They monopolised everything. Melbourne City come in. And realistically, who supports Melbourne City that hasn't already support, uh, that wasn't a supporter of Victory? Maybe someone who didn't like Victory? And they said, well, I'm going to go support Melbourne City. But they couldn't really get the numbers, could they? Because they still their crowds are, what, six, 7,000? And they spend a lot of money in Melbourne City, and it's a good club. But then now they've got Western United as well. So now you've got to try to find more people. Well, Victory have got 30,000 members. Melbourne City, I don't know what they got, about 7,000? I don't know what Western United is. So the numbers are getting smaller. So there's not a real community feel about the clubs, is there? And it takes time. Franchises take time to build. Take time to build. Can I ask Spider, because we're talking about, you know, money and how we generate money. You're right in saying, you know, quite a few A-League clubs, I think about five of them have about 10,000 members plus. If you charge those members $300 for a membership, which gets you season tickets and everything, and maybe even a vote on the board or something like that, uh, that's $3 million. So are we, you know, we're talking about where can we get the money? Are clubs and I guess the league, are they not doing the best job in actually generating that catch? Yeah. Mate, I think it's hard. I, I think they're doing everything they can. Believe me, I, I've seen some of the big clubs and the way they work. They're doing everything they can, but it all costs. Mm. I mean, you look at the bigger clubs uh, like Sydney FC, Wanderers, Victory, Melbourne City. A lot of people work at those clubs. Their wages have to get paid. It's not just the players. It's not just the players. You've got all the people that actually work at the club that spend hours there. You've got to pay their wages. You know, it's a lot It's a lot of money to run a football club at a professional level where you're not generating the income. Well, we can't compete to Europe. We need to stop saying Europe, Europe, Europe because AC Milan gets 125 million euro for television rights a season. Juve gets 150 million. Perugia gets 7 million. So there's a big difference. I want to ask um, on that point that, that you're saying there, uh, are the clubs doing enough at the community level? Because, you know, I, I think it took Sydney FC far too long to establish a relationship with, you know, the, the southern area like Wollongong, for example. And I feel like they only bridged that gap once the threat of southern expansion came in. Um, That's which, probably, they, that was the kick up the backside that they needed, Lucy. That's the problem, Spider, is that from, from the, the get-go, if a club is established, you should already be looking to extend your tentacles out to the community, get as many juniors on site as possible and build a supporter base from there. They're the people that are going to be coming through your system and potentially playing for your club one day, the juniors that is, and the fans that are going to support you right up until the end. I don't know that we've built enough of a connection with the communities. And that's something that the NSL had that the A-League certainly doesn't. I think it's a, it's a great point because, as I said to you, you see victory, they did it. They put their tentacles everywhere when they come in. So any club that come in from Victoria now, they struggle because victory has monopolised the whole market. Uh, I don't think Brisbane Raw have that problem. They probably could actually attack it even, even more. I don't think Adelaide have that problem. But, you know, Sydney, Melbourne, two bigger states, it's normal. Maybe Sydney needed to kick up the backside. But yet again, Sydney's been very successful. 
So people tend to follow teams that are successful as well. But they still don't have that much of a following. I think I remember speaking to Roods about this and he said, you know, why is it that they can win multiple titles? Roods, for anyone that doesn't know, is Mark Rudan down at Western United. But he said, you know, why is it that a club like Sydney FC can continue to be so successful and win multiple titles but still cannot get consistent crowd numbers? It's crazy to me. I, I think I thought their crowd I, I thought the crowd were inconsistent when they played at a big stadium. But I think since this year they went to Jubilee and that. I thought their crowds were quite consistent. And I, I think, I don't know, I don't know, but I think the people at Sydney FC would be happy with playing at Colgrane, getting 12 and 13,000 and filling the stadium. I remember games when I was working at Sydney FC, we would play Wellington and there was 7,000 people and we're playing at the football stadium. Yeah. Now, Sydney's a hard market as well. Sydney, we need it to not be sunny, not be too hot, not rain, just overcast so we don't have to go to the beach and that, and then we decide to go to the football. So we're a fickle market. Whereas Melbourne, Victorians, they love their sport. So they jump on this uh, membership bandwagon. And once you're a member of a club, that's you for life. We probably haven't got that in Sydney. Yeah, agree. Uh, a comment coming through before we defer to you, Solich, from Ben Johnson. I'm with Spider. Let's not 100% knock the A-League clubs. Let's try to be as inclusive as possible for the future to include the MPL clubs that can make the step up. But let's not forget that the work the A-League clubs are doing. Well said. Stolich, anything to continue to add to the narrative? No, I was just going to ask uh, for a bit of change to, to kind of talk a little bit about the football. We had a story on the World Game website uh, this week that uh, Melbourne Victory were chasing your mate, Tony Popovich. Spider, I wondered if you'd heard anything about that, if you think that'd be a good fit for Popper, if you think that'd be a good fit for Victory. Mate, let me tell you, Popper lives in a different country, mate. He lives in Perth. <laughs> they they got a time difference and all sorts. So, mate, we... We miss each other, you know. When I'm when I'm up in the mornings, he's still sleeping. So time difference uh, is quite it's quite difficult. I, I read the same article, um, mate. I don't want to say because I think he's still under contract with Perth, but I think it's a great fit. Mm. I think it would be a fantastic fit. But the thing with Popper is that he's a great fit wherever he goes. Is that your son still badgering you? Um, yeah, Popper's a great fit wherever he goes. It doesn't matter. Any club in the country or more more broadly globally would be lucky to have him. And I know that you sort of experienced a tough run with him when you went over to Turkey to Karabuk Sport. But, you know, when we're looking at Australian coaches now, you'd have to say that Popper's right up there in the top um, echelon of, you know, products that could be potentially pushed out globally and succeed. Spider, do you feel the same? Well, well, you know, we're talking about we're talking about uh, we're talking about players. What about our coaches? Yeah, I mean, mate, we we got fantastic coaches that are desperate to get back on the field to actually show their qualities to maybe do what Ange has done and gone and been successful and, and haven't got that opportunity yet. So they actually need the best environment to show their best as well to actually go to a higher level. Anyone who's got who's aspiring to be the best they can, like the Angers, like the Poppers, you know, Arnie's been very successful, you know, uh, Muskie was very successful. They try to get out of here. And that's what Australia's always been, a platform to go to a better place. And these guys are desperate to get back on the field as well. And I'm sure that these coaches would love some guidance as to what's going to happen as well. Because I, I think Popper's a European coach. I think he's good enough to coach in Europe. And it's like... Yeah, you know, what a tall poppy syndrome we have. You know, like we slagged Ange and stuff and like. And again, this is football. It's a game of opinions. You like his system or you don't like his system. He was successful in what he did, and look what he's achieved. So he's actually opened the door for other Australian coaches. And now we're stuck in this mold where we're going to maybe reduce the salary cap, less quality of players. It's, it just becomes very difficult for these guys to get out. Stolich. Uh, yeah, I wanted to also talk a bit about um, the MPL resuming. Uh, have, have there been any discussions with you? I know it's not been easy for all the MPL clubs to resume in the current environment. There's worries about whether they can afford to pay their players. What's going on at Sydney United? Yeah, that's look, we're, we're in a holding pattern at the moment. Uh, once again, uh, it comes down to money. Uh, I think a lot of, lot of the clubs are saying, well, how are we going to pay pay the wages you know there's no crowd there's no sponsorship there's no television money uh so this is a problem i think uh, they're trying to put their heads together to come up with a solution uh, I, I think we have to play but we're all going to have to cull somewhere if we want the game to go ahead 
So I want to pick up on that point that you made about the quality of players then that we're going to lose effectively if we're going to cut wages. Uh, what does that do then to the international market, foreign marquees, uh, big name players? Uh, is this something that now we have to consider about investing in our youth and our existing homegrown talent uh, versus looking abroad if we're going to cut costs? I, I think the A-League clubs have been trying to do that, Lucy. I, I, they're, they're trying to invest and they're trying to play young players. My only thing about playing young players when they're not quite ready, for example, if you play too many young players in a team together, they're going to get beat. The yeah. experienced players will beat them. So what are they really learning from it? They're just playing games. They need so you to sport, experience You players. need to get the experienced players with the young players to actually get them to develop. And the way I developed when I was a kid playing at Sydney United is I had the Graham Arnolds, the Ojarkovs, you know, the Rosich, the Hunters. I had experienced players around me. And then there was two or three young players in amongst those ones. Mm -hmm. So this is the hard thing in Australia. Like we say, oh, as soon as clubs can't make the top six in, a, in the A-League, they go, ah, oh, we just play the young ones till the end of the year. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's not a solution. That's a cop-out. Another question coming through from Ben Johnson, one of our top fans here at the World Game. Good afternoon to you, Ben. Great to have your company here on the live chat. How many quality coaches are there in Australia, though? Of course, there are a few, no doubt. But does the supply of quality coaches fit the demand for our junior development, Spider? Oh, we, we got some really good coaches. Look, in the A-League itself, in the A-League itself, we've had guys like Ange, we've guys like Muskie, Popper, Arnie, look at Bimby. Look what Corrick has done as two, two years in charge at Sydney FC. Not an easy job after Arnie left. So not an easy job. Been very successful. Ufi Tale, fantastic job at Wellington, first season coach. Roots, fantastic. Uh, Wellington, he went to Wellington, done a fantastic job. Went to Western United, doing a fantastic job. So seriously, we got, we got coaches. We got serious coaches here in Australia. These guys just don't get the opportunity. We, we go abroad and I say, bring in a foreign coach like Mombats because he's got pedigree, he's got quality. But don't bring in guys that are the same level as our guys. They have to be 50%. They have to be able to 50% better. They have to have the criteria to give quality so we can learn off them. That's what the Japanese did. They brought in Brazilian coaches and German coaches and pinched ideas from everyone. But let me tell you, we got good coaches here. Very good. I'll defer back to Stolich in a second, but while we're still on this theme, I'd love to ask you then of your opinion when it comes to Adelaide United. Uh, Bruce Jitte, who's the, the the football director over there, has come out and openly said that, you know, a lot of coaches and, and people are interested in the role since they've lost um, their coach, who was also a foreigner. But um, his view is, is that they would like to go with an Australian coach, someone that understands the parochial fan base, that, that gets the Adelaide youth system. Of course, that he said is going to be a bonus, but it's not the be-all, end-all. Um, but one guy that springs to mind for me, Spider, is a guy like Damian Morty, who for years has been doing so well in Adelaide, in the South Australian system, um, with Adelaide City absolutely cleaning up from championship to championship constantly, but cannot get a look in. Um, you know, how is that possible? Is there something that I'm not privy to? Am I missing something in all of this? Well, it's funny because Frogger was the first one I thought of. Mm -hmm. uh, I know he was very successful at Adelaide City. And if you look at Roods, Roods the way Roods done, Roods was very successful here in the NPL in New South Wales, got his opportunity to go to Wellington, showed his quality from Wellington, has gone to Western United. Now, Frogger is, is from Adelaide there, he lives in Adelaide. Mate, give your locals a chance. They're not short of coaches. You know, they've got Frogger, they've got Tony Vidmar. They got Aurelio Vidmar. They got John Aloisi if they can lure him back to Adelaide. They've got local. They've got local product that actually would probably go back to Adelaide and be very successful. Who know the whole surroundings? So they they have the opportunity. You've got to be brave to give someone an opportunity. That's the bottom line. I mean, Wellington were very brave in giving Ufitale the opportunity, and they probably learned from that because they gave Rudes the opportunity and said. Well, let's give another young coach another opportunity. And now they've done it to Ulfi. Now they've created two coaches in two years. And they're, in New Zealand. and they're a New Zealand-based club. Oh, oh, yeah, sorry, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. Stolich, anything to add to that? 
No, no, I, I agree completely. And I think it's been such a wonderful thing to see also the different styles that uh, a lot of these guys bring, the different styles that Rudes brings. You know, that's, I think, kind of the difference is that a lot of these young Australian coaches are bringing distinctive styles and, and different, but, you know, Ange, he had a clear style, Pop has a clear style, even Muskie. So I think it's very interesting. What I wanted to ask, Spider, is have you been watching uh, that Michael Jordan documentary on Netflix? Have you seen Oh, it brilliant, on- ain't it? Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask you, you know, you see in that documentary how kind of focused uh, Jordan was and how competitive he was on winning. In your experience as a a player, who was someone that you played with that had that just absolute killer instinct desire to win? Yeah. Gattuso was like that. He was just like, mate, hated hated to lose. But, you know, guys like Maldini and Costa Curta, that, that was so inbred in them. Like, you know, even times just sitting on the bus driving to the match and, you know, we'd be giggling and laughing and, you know, Maldo or Costa Curta would turn around and give you the eyes as to say, hey, concentrate on the match. Don't worry about laughing. You know, they, these guys, that was inbred in them. And that's maybe something that we've taken away from development here as well because we say, oh, it's about playing. It's about participating. And no, no, it's about winning, my friend. It's about winning. So how do you instill that culture now? Because I think that largely the, the situation that we're in is down to the more modern era of parenting. And you would know this spider as well. Oh, I mean, it's a disaster, ain't it? <laughs> oh, growing up in a Croatian household, you know, I remember I had no ambitions to be a footballer, but when I played, you know, at school or played indoor games, my dad had come and tear me a new one. And I, yeah. I had no intentions of, you know, having a professional career. But that was the environment that we grew up in. Whereas now we've moved towards that. Everyone gets a participation medal you know we've got to congratulate everyone on their efforts and we shy away from being too hard on the kids what's your view and how much of a role the parents have to play in the players that we're producing at the moment yeah look the parents definitely we play a major role in the way our kids are brought up and i just think it's society in general lucy you can't get away from it uh you know phones and social media and all this rubbish um they're 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 all over it we didn't have that um, you know, if you play bad, you've got to be told you play bad. You can't actually sugarcoat things. And I think a lot of things uh, these days, kids are sugarcoated. You know, you know, little Johnny was the best on the ground. And like, you look at it and you say, mate, you, what game did you watch? You know, but uh, people have gone away from that. Uh, you know, look, I get it. Society's changed. You've got to be careful what you say, how you say things. Uh, HR's in the house. So hey, HR plays a big... <laughs> big part in what you can say so look it's it's a complete different world to what we're brought up with i like old school uh i'm evolving slowly with the new modern day world but i still think you can bring in the old and new together and be successful a couple of more questions before we let you go stolich uh, yes, but I just wanted to talk about as well in that documentary, one of the things I thought was really interesting was the way that the coach, Phil Jackson, dealt with all the players, the, the different ways that he motivated the players. And, you know, he had he had the superstar Jordan, but then he had these also these role players like Steve Kerr. I, I wanted to know, did it remind you of the way Ancelotti was at AC Milan? Because I, f- yeah. I felt like there was a bit of a similar attitude. Yeah, it's, it's so true. Um, just to watch these great managers and, you know, obviously a different sport, but great managers. When you when you hear players and the way they praise the manager that they're playing for, for the reasons, like um, Rodman, like the way he said, yeah, but Phil Jackson, he respects me as a person. He doesn't judge me. So, you know, that actually makes that player play even harder for that person. Jordan was, they all respected him. You know, for me, one of the best, the best things about that old show was when Rodman said, he needed 48 hours off because his, his, whole, his head was going to go needed 48 hours. They all knew he wasn't coming back in 48 hours. <laughs> they all knew that, but they let him go because it was the best thing for the team. And even better was that his teammate had to fly to Vegas to pull him out to go to training and Rodman turns up the training in his flip-flops. Man, that's gold. <laughs> Could you imagine doing that in this modern-day environment? There'd be none of that. Can I ask if uh, if uh, Jordan was like Maldini and you got Phil Jackson was like Ancelotti, did you have any teammates who were like Dennis Rodman? Uh, oh, look, Gattuso would be the, the closest one, but he, he wouldn't go MIA like that. 
Uh, not at not at that level. I just that that was gold. Forty eight hours off, and they all knew he wasn't coming back in forty eight hours. No, I, I didn't have any that went MIA like that. Mm. Um, as we look to wrap up, of course, I'm conscious of the time, Spider, and you've been so generous with it today. Um, I'd love to ask you personally, sort of, what your ambitions are, because we talk about a lot of the great coaches, and and you've been involved and were involved in the, in in the A League environment, where you know players that had worked under you said that you were one of the top goalkeeper coaches going around, and you're such an asset to us. Uh, but what are your ambitions? What are you hoping to achieve long-term? Is coaching something that you're considering really exploring at this point in time? Well, yeah. Look, uh, before before we stop, Lucy, I've got to say I, I was loving this job at Sydney United. Uh, to actually be head coach, it was you know something that I didn't think I wanted to do. And that was probably because I worked under guys like Popper and Arnie. And they gave me great direction. And I was happy to, to just sit back and let them lead. Uh, but now that I've actually taken over as head coach, I'm, I'm loving it and I'm really thriving at the, the opportunity to get back on the field and just see whether I enjoy it and continue to enjoy it. And if I continue to enjoy it, I'll keep exploring other options. But at the moment, I just want to get back on the field and uh, play some football. I think so does everybody at this point in time. Spider, it's been a real delight to have you. Um, every guest that we get on the show, I always finish off by asking them this question, which you have to fill in the blanks for. The future of Australian football looks like what? Green and gold. All right. Green and gold. <laughs> Let's wrap it up then. Green for money. Green for money. <laughs> yeah. Oh, mate. Yeah. Yeah. Green and gold for some money. And that's been a big takeaway from today's discussion, Spider. Always great to have your views here on the show with us. You're a great friend to SBS and a great friend to football. We hope that isolation is treating you well and that we can get back on the park soon and see Sydney United playing some top quality games. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thank you. And thank you. Uh, thanks to everyone watching today. Thank you so much for, for your company as well. It's been a robust debate as always. And we here are thrilled that you've been a part of it. For any stories that we have discussed, of course, you can head to the website for a range of opinions that we've got doing the rounds from some of our most prominent contributors across the World Game website. We've also got that full interview with James Johnson and Graham Arnold doing the rounds as well. So you can head to any of our social media platforms or the website for that info. It's been a joy to have you. But in the meantime, on behalf of myself and Stolich, thanks so much for your company. We are here every week. Wednesday from 1pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. So for now, it's goodbye and we'll see you again next week. Ciao.